Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. We all love eating tasty food, and what's even better than that is when it's completely free. That's exactly what HelloFresh is giving away to you guys today. Free appetizers for the rest of your life. If you don't know, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. I've been a long-time subscriber because not only do they make meal planning as simple as possible and essentially remove any trips I need to take to the grocery store, but they have the biggest menu out there with over 50 recipes to choose from, Every single week. I mean, it's summertime. We all want to spend more time relaxing in the sun and less time in the kitchen. Using HelloFresh, and they let you get back to enjoying pool and beach time with just a few clicks on your computer. Just choose your meals, select a delivery date, and HelloFresh delivers everything right to your door. And like I said, when you sign up today, you'll unlock free appetizers for life. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AndrewApps for free appetizers for life. One appetizer item per box while subscription is active. That's free appetizers for life at HelloFresh.com slash Andrew Apps. I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Top 5 Most Deadly Arsonists Fire is essential in our lives. We use it for cooking, warming our houses, and out camping. But arsonists, on the other hand, use fire for power and control, and their obsession is to quite literally watch the world burn. Here are the top five most deadly arsonists. Number five, Johnny Orr. When Johnny Orr joined the Glendale Fire Department in Southern California as an arson investigator, People, at first, found him to be a bit strange. Having failed to join the LAPD, the frustrated would-be policemen would often chase down shoplifters, robbers, and burglars in his fire truck. Regardless of this, though, his uncanny ability to be the first firefighter to appear on the scene gained him respect among his peers. He always knew what street corner to take where the fire hydrants were, what the best way to put out each fire was, and even figuring out the cause of the fire outbreak. During the mid-1980s, a series of fires plagued the City of Angels, 
causing millions of dollars in property damage. On October 10, 1984, a large fire broke out at the Ohls Home Center Hardware Store in a shopping mall in South Pasadena. The blaze completely destroyed the building, but the worst of it all was that there were four casualties in this tragic incident. Those who perished were 50-year-old Ada Deal, her grandson, 2-year-old Matthew Trottle, 26-year-old Caroline Krause, who was a mother of two, and 17-year-old Jimmy Satina, who was an employee. Investigators unanimously ruled the cause to be an electrical spark, but not Orr, who insisted that it had to be the work of an arsonist. More blazing incidents followed soon after. Picking up Orr's clues, they did notice numerous similarities in the multiple cases, which led them to suspect that indeed they were dealing with a pyromaniac. What they noticed were incendiary timing devices involving a lit cigarette that would ignite three matches wrapped in lined yellow legal paper secured by a rubber band. This device would then be deposited in areas of stores with flammable materials like linen pillowcases and mattresses, which would subsequently catch the kindling resulting in massive, uncontrollable fires. From this, authorities came up with a nickname, the Pillow Pyro. Like the work of a master planner, the perpetrator would meanwhile start smaller fires on open grassy hills, drawing firefighters away from those set in the populated areas. In January of 1987, several more fires broke out, and in one of the scenes, authorities found a fingerprint left on a piece of paper. Two years later, the same print was once again found at another fire. By 1991, an entire Pillow Pyro task force had been formed. Circumstances led them to believe that the arsonist had expert knowledge of not just fires, but how firefighters responded. This prompted them to compare all firefighter prints with that of the perpetrator, and much to their shock, it matched upon Orr. When he was arrested in November of 1991, they found in the fire captain's possession incriminating evidence like the same brand of cigarettes, rubber bands, and binoculars. The court overseeing his trial also took into account the manuscript of his novel called Point of Origin. The book described a fireman, who is also an arsonist, that finds sexual pleasure watching things burn. The now 71-year-old is currently serving his multiple life sentences at the Sentinella California State Prison. Number 4. Yamaguchi Arson Murder Cases Far from the image of Japan's ultra-modern metropolitan setting is this little hamlet town of Mataki in the Yamaguchi Prefecture. This place is so remote that at one point it only had 15 residents, one of whom was a man named Kosi Homi. An amateur poet, the 63-year-old once lived with his elderly parents in the area. After they passed, though, he was left all alone, and that's when the problems started to arise. According to court documents, Homie was being ostracized by his neighbors who thought of him as an outsider who just didn't belong. 
This outright rejection, in turn, brought out extreme anger and resentment from the man. And like the making of a supervillain, what happened next was a total nightmare. On July 21st and 22nd of 2013, Homie torched two homes in his neighborhood. Authorities were called in and beyond the charred wooden frames of the houses, police discovered something much more shocking. Buried within the burnt pile of objects lay the dead body of Miyako Yamamoto. Upon further inspection, they found the 79-year-old's head smashed in with a piece of wood. They believed she was in bed asleep when the perpetrator killed her before torching the home. Up the road a bit, the same thing happened at another residence. The couple living there, Makado Satomori and his wife, Kyoko, were also found dead inside their fire-gutted abode. The very next day, while the police were still investigating the fires, they found two more dead bodies, and this time, however, the remains were inside their intact homes. As the events got even more bizarre and intriguing, authorities decided to tally all the Mataki inhabitants. Everyone, including the dead, were all accounted for. Everyone, that is, except for Homie. As soon as they were able to identify their suspect, police immediately launched a search operation. They scoured the entire village and the nearby forest area to look for the killer. The manhunt lasted for four days until finally on July 26th, Homie was caught. He was found hiding in the mountains before being taken into custody. On December 27th, the Yamaguchi District Prosecutor's Office officially charged Kosi Homie with five counts of murder and arson. Two years later, the so-called Yamaguchi arsonist murderer was found guilty of all charges and was given a death sentence for his crimes. Number 3. Thomas Sweat Thomas Sweat has a different concept of attraction than most. In a way, if you figuratively set his heart ablaze, he will in turn literally set your house on fire. It was a chilly January 9th, 1985, Sweat had just gotten off work from his shift at a Roy Rogers restaurant in Washington, D.C. He passed by a man who he found attractive, and so he followed him back to his place just to see where he lived. He wanted to see him again, but lacked the courage to do anything about it. Instead, he decided to head back home, where he then took his sister's car, went to a gas station, and filled a two-liter bottle of soda up with gas. He headed back to the man's house, poured that gas across the doorstep, and set it ablaze. Indeed, he saw the person again, but not in an appropriate way, to say the least. The victim suffered third-degree burns over 60% of his body when he tried to put the fire out. He later died due to the grave injuries, and his wife perished in the fire as well. Sweat then did the same thing to a friend whom he met randomly on the street. Like the first, his weird obsession pushed him to light the man's home on fire where he lived with a relative. In an interview, the pyromaniac admitted that he finds sexual pleasure seeing his victims running frantically because of the fire. According to him, it felt like these people needed his help. 
At other times, he would set someone else's property ablaze because of envy or just pure contempt. But it wasn't just attraction for Sweat. In one instance, he received a bad haircut at a barber shop. Dismayed by the job, he came back later that evening to set the shop on fire. Even uniformed personnel like cops, soldiers, and marines were not exempt from Sweat's fiery madness. He later admitted tossing incendiary devices into police cars because he loved to see them burn. But his animosity towards the law was actually the reason why he got caught in the first place. In December of 2004, investigators found a pair of pants from a Marine's uniform that were left at the scene of a fire. They were able to extract DNA from the material which matched the DNA that they had previously obtained from a strand of hair and wicks found at other fires. This led them to a marine base in southeast Washington where officials reported having seen a man sitting inside his car staring at the marines. They had this individual tailed for weeks and during that period, the fires had suddenly stopped. At one point, they asked the man for a DNA sample, which he voluntarily offered. Just as what many had suspected, Sweat's DNA matched those found on the pants and from the materials found at three separate fire incidents. Authorities finally caught the man who had been setting fires in and around the D.C. area for more than 30 years. He pleaded guilty to more than 350 incidents as well as the three confirmed deaths, and many believe that there could be many more. He is currently serving a life sentence at a federal correctional institution in Terre Haute, Indiana. Number 2. Raymond Euler California, a state where many portions are stuck in droughts on a regular basis. Add on top of that the windy, drying, often hot weather and you can understand why the Bear State is quite prone to devastating fires. These outbreaks have caused immeasurable damage to properties, life, and nature. As naturally occurring wildfires continue to happen, Californians also have to deal with devastating incidents brought about by the sinister actions of fellow human beings, people just like Raymond Euler. Euler was a 36-year-old mechanic from Riverdale. For three months, he went through rigorous training with the hopes of becoming a firefighter, but he quit midway. What he didn't quit, however, was his twisted fascination with fire. He began making small fires by throwing incendiary devices into dry brushes, his M.O. being to attach a lit cigarette to a pack of matches placed in the brush. His sick fixation soon grew to become an ambition, the goal of which was to set an entire mountain on fire. This actually scared the living hell out of his former girlfriend, who threatened to leave him if he didn't stop. He did stop, at least for a couple months, but then, on October 26, 2006, Euler once again set up his device in a gully near Esperanza Avenue in Cabazon, California. It didn't help that the wicked Santa Ana dry winds were blowing strong that day. It cultivated the fire that later on spread at speeds of up to 40 miles an hour. It was a horrifying sight, 
The ravaging flames were already leaping more than a hundred feet into the air, the monstrous fire waves eating everything along its path. The thousand-degree heat even melted the guardrails along Highway 243. The gigantic blaze went on to destroy 34 homes and 20 buildings. But the most disheartening thing that occurred were the deaths of five firefighters. 43-year-old Captain Mark Lutzenheiser, fire engine operator Jess Gus McLean, who was 27, 27-year-old assistant fire engine operator Jason McKay, Firefighter Pablo Cerda, who is 23, and 20-year-old firefighter Daniel Najera all died in the line of duty trying to protect a home above Cabazon. It happened when the wind shifted and blew the fire towards them. Thanks to the undeterred efforts of the firefighters coming as far away as Alameda County, the blaze was ultimately put out. More than a half a million dollar reward was offered for any information related to who started the Esperanza fire. Authorities didn't have to look far as arson investigators already had Euler in their crosshairs after he was questioned for two smaller fires earlier in the year. Both of the cigarettes used to ignite the flames had the suspect's DNA on them. He was arrested on March 6, 2009 for an undisclosed reason. A Riverside jury found the accused guilty of first-degree murder and the deaths of the five fire officers. A couple months later, he was sentenced to death for starting the devastating 2006 Esperanza fire. He is currently awaiting execution at San Quentin State Prison. Number 1. Bruce George Peter Lee Born to a prostitute, and abandoned at an early age, Bruce George Peter Lee, whose original given name was Peter George Dinsdale, grew up in the very harsh neighborhood of Hull, East Riding in Yorkshire, England. He was called Freak by his own mother and was often ridiculed for his epileptic tendencies. His limp and deformed appearance didn't help him either. He could often be found wandering the streets at night by himself when he was young. Little did everyone know, though, the young kid had been planning all along to torch down his entire neighborhood. When he was 12, he went to the house of his classmate, Richard Ellerington, in Hull. There he broke the window and doused the floor with highly flammable paraffin wax. He then tossed a match into the house, setting it ablaze. The Ellerington's woke up to the choking smoke and heat emanating. The family rushed outside for safety. Four of the five children made it outside. Richard, though, who was physically handicapped, was consumed by the fire and died. The tragic incident at that house was just one of the many fatal fires that least started between the years 1973 and 79. In the latter years, he claimed to have burned down many establishments in his hometown, including a lumberyard, a shopping district, and a number of stores. Another account said that he was responsible for destroying a nursing home that subsequently killed 11 residents. Aside from these, multiple homes in and around the area were reduced to ashes. Lee's choice of incendiary device was paraffin, a highly flammable chemical used as fuel additives. 
Once he spotted a target building, he would typically break one of its windows, pour the wax over the floor, light a match, and set it ablaze, then run out. Like many pyromaniacs, he also had the habit of revisiting his crime scenes. His fiery reign of terror eventually came to an end, though. On December 4, 1979, loaded with paraffin, he went over to the house of a family called the Hasties on Selby Street. This household was rather infamous in the area for the rowdy behavior of the boys. One of their victims was Lee, whom they allegedly harassed. Once there, he poured the chemical inside the house and lit the building on fire, and only one boy survived. An anonymous tip led the investigators to the car of the perpetrator, whom the witness claimed to have seen outside of the house prior to the fire. The driver turned out to be the guy they used to call Daft Peter. Upon interrogation, Lee admitted to having set fire to the hasty house, although he didn't intend to kill them. He later on took responsibility for ten more fatal fires that had occurred in the area and revealed those details to the police. On January 20, 1981, he pleaded guilty to 26 counts of manslaughter, not murder, and 11 counts of arson. Bruce George Peter Lee is currently institutionalized at the Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire and is unlikely to ever be released. So they are with the top five most deadly arsonists. More than the properties they destroyed, these criminals took their fascination and obsessions with fires and not just ruined lives, but ended many of them as well. If you enjoyed watching this video, then please subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell because every week we're putting out two new videos for you to check out. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you soon. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.